Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Beginning to read, please, at verse 57. Luke 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the de- their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house, at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plough, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We know the Lord will bless that reading of his word in public this morning. Keep your Bible open there. We will be referring much to it uh, as the morning proceeds. Let us pray. Father. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and we would wonder, Lord, when we think of ourselves, how you could love us, sinners condemned unclean. Yet you did, Lord, and you sent your Son. Lord, you went all the way for us, paid all the debt for us. This morning, Lord, we just tell you that we love you because you first loved us and we worship you. Because you alone are worthy of the praise and we honor you. Because you are the Lord, you are the Savior, and there is none else. No God beside thee, none to come nigh thee. This morning, Lord, take your word and inscribe it in our hearts and print it upon our minds. And Lord, we pray, Lord, you would challenge us or... Speak to us whatever way you deem it fit to deal with us. Pray, Father, that you would minister into lives and situations and instruct us and teach us in the way which we should go, that you would guide us with thine eye. So, Father, for these next moments allotted to the, the teaching and the preaching of your word, we pray the anointing of your spirit to be upon this man. And Lord, that you would be glorified in Christ alone seen and none other and none else. Bless those who aren't with us this morning. Bless those who are watching live this morning or later today. We pray, Father, for their portion, Lord, would be rich toward them. Bless your people in this place this morning. For Jesus' name's sake, they pray and ask it. Amen. This reading has three men mentioned, three answers given, and we want to look at this morning following Jesus, the cost, 
the commission and the care, the cost, the commission and the care. Notice we have the first man, and if you want, you can say he is uh, the precipitate man. He is uh, too quick. He jumps in too quick. Many of us jump in too quick. Secondly, uh, we have, if you want, the procrastinating man. The procrastinating man. And he is too slow. Too slow. And thirdly, we have the pendulous man. And the pendulous man, he's too attached. Too attached. And I think uh, that we will see ourselves at certain times in our lives this morning. Too quick, too slow, too attached. Too quick, too slow, and too attached. And hence when we read in verse 57... And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. This is the precipitate man. In other words, to precipitate means to bring about something suddenly or abruptly. He was too quick to jump. Here's the thing about this man. We don't read that this man was called by the Lord. Don't read that the Lord said, follow me. But don't read that he was called by the Lord Jesus. And many commentators tend to lean to that. He had heard of the miracles. He had seen of the wonders that Christ could do and thought, I'll be part of that. We may say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the motive of the heart was what's its central focus here. I'll be part of that. There are things that we at times think are good, and, and, and maybe they are good in their essence, but we think, well, I'll be part of that, or I'll jump into that, and so on. This man was a precipitate. He was, he was jumping in very suddenly. He was too quick. And the first point is he didn't count the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following the Master. Notice here, he says, I will follow thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now, if he had of heard, I don't know whether he was there or not, if he had of heard earlier in the chapter, Jesus is saying he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified. Maybe he wasn't listening right to the Lord, the Lord and the word of God. I don't know, because we can all be like that. It's like Peter, uh, 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 he is... Uh, one, one minute he's jumping in, next minute he's jumping out. And there are people like that with ministry. One minute they jump at one thing and it doesn't happen. Then they think, well, I'll try this because I think I'll do this. And they jump at another thing and then they leave that and they try another thing and then they leave that and they go to another thing. And they're, uh, if you want, uh, the jack of all trades, as we would say, a master of none. And nothing is built with that sort of ministry where we don't seek the Lord and wait on the Lord and count the cost of following him. There's a difference between saying I'm saved or I believe in the Lord and following the Lord. Big difference. The big difference is is we can all uh, profess 
Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. There's many say that and, and at times are religious and don't even know the Lord. They're not even saved, but they would maybe even turn up the church. But to actually follow him means to obey him before all others, to love him before all else and to serve him when none others want to. To put him first before self and to put his law and his word first before every other's word. This man had no idea what he was saying. If he did, he was being very foolish. He didn't count the cost because Christ was going to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. If you want to follow me, he says, then understand foxes of holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man has not where to lay his head. And many preachers take that to say he was just a poor itinerant preacher. And that may or may not be true, but we can't just rest on this one verse to say that. Rather, we're missing the point of this, what Christ is saying to this man. He's saying, those who follow me will have to give up all if they want to be close to me. What about it, C.E.T.? If you want to follow me, it's going to cost you, he says. Not salvation. Salvation's free by grace through faith. But to follow him means that you will be labeled with him, judged guilty by the world with him. If you want to follow me in a ministry, you're going to have to know that to get close to me will cost you, will cost your time, will cost your energy, will cost your, your lifestyle, will cost what you love before you used to run after those things that will cost you that. See, the man didn't count the cost. He was precipitate. He, 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 he tried to make something happen quickly and sooner than it should have. Do you want to follow me, he says. And the foxes of holes, the birds of the air of nests, but the son of man is not where to lay his head. In other words, as those who are born of the Spirit would move, even as he said, the Spirit comes and goes where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof, but you don't know that, where it comes and where it goes. So are they that are born of the Spirit, he says, to Nicodemus and John 3. So here's the thing about it, CT, and this has been in my mind and challenged me, and I wrote it down. I sat on Thursday writing this. In 2023, what does it cost a man and a woman to follow Christ? I didn't say to profess Christ, but to follow Christ. It could cost you your job. It could cost you your career to really follow him. It could cost even closeness with family members who are unsaved to follow him. It could cost us a lot. It could cost you when we are taking our stand against the, the wokeism and the, the things that are out, uh, outside of these of this tabernacle and in, outside of your Christian home and life. It costs us. 
here's what I want to ask you, and this isn't condemnation, it's a question for you to answer in your own heart. Have you come across that yet? That it has cost you something? Because it may be a block between you and the closeness of following Christ. It could cost you when you're standing up against ungodly laws. It cost you when you're trying to alert and alarm and, and warn the people and set the, the shofar to thy mouth and, and sound an alarm in all of God's holy mountain here in, in these islands. It, it could cost you for that. Have you counted the cost? Because that's what it, it costs you when you stand up against uh, abortion. It costs you when you stand up against all of these other laws that are being put upon us. Are you ready for the cost? You can come today, and you can go home today, and it hasn't cost you a thing. Now, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about following Christ. We live in a world that's anti-Christ. We live in a land and a nation that's anti-Christ in every area of it. And sad to say from monarchy down, from parliaments to governments, to even in many church circles, so-called it's anti-Christ. So this man comes and he says, he's too quick for he doesn't count the cost. Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And we don't read here that Jesus has called him and said to follow him. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. We have people from, especially from a Roman Catholic background, NCET, who have got saved by grace, like you and I from a Protestant background have got saved by grace. And it's cost them a lot more because their family looks at them and says, these are just Protestants. It's cost them to follow Jesus because that's how they're seen in their family. It's cost those of us and I know that when I first got saved, my family thought, they thought I was mad anyway, but they thought I just totally was ready to be locked up when I said that I'd get saved. It costs to follow Christ. Saying we believe in Jesus and going to church, well, look, it's great because we need you here, we want you here. They want to press on with the work of God here. But the idea of this is, is, is that God would touch your heart this morning. That God would speak into your heart this morning. And if you hear him saying, follow me. If you can hear him saying, follow me. As a Christian now. And he's been maybe already speaking to you and you have been backing off and yes, Lord, another time. And, you know, we can have all the good intentions, but good intentions are not enough because we all do it at certain points in times when it's follow me. But get rid of this. 
follow me and get rid of that. Follow me and do this and put that right. And it costs us. I was out praying over the field and I think it was Monday, maybe Tuesday past. I was praying and seeking the Lord and what am I going to do on Sunday, Lord? What will I bring? And all I could hear was, Son, keep your eyes on me and keep your hand on the plough. Keep your eyes on me and keep your hand on the plough. And this is where I started reading about this. Of course, he's the third man, but this is where this has come from. Will you turn with me, please, to Luke 14? Luke chapter 14. Let's write on down to verse 25. Luke 14, 25. And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, Notice, if any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And the Lord isn't saying here, you have to hate them. The idea is that he's to be first. You have to love him more. First in your life. First. Notice what it says in verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, here's your cost, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. And that happens when someone jumps from one thing to the next. They think, well, we're going all guns at this, and then they leave that and jump to the next thing and then to the next thing. And people just say, oh, well, she or he or whoever it may be, well, actually, they're at everything, and then they don't follow through. The Lord is saying, but in the context of following him, we get a burst, like a starburst, as it were, uh, uh, rocketing across the sky. We, we get a, a burst of, I'm here, I'm doing this, I'm doing that for the Lord, and boom, it's gone. Because the hard times, the, 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 the difficult times come. And when they come, they fade out, shooting stars. And they fade out. Notice what he says here, Luke 14, please. Verse 30, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. 
It's the words of the Savior. That doesn't mean, brother, sister, if you're saved and your, your spouse isn't, you have to leave them. That's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, everything comes before me. And you don't take up your cross. And someone, when they took up a cross, you know what? They were going to die. It was a symbol and a sign as they carried it before they were kneeled on it that they were a dead man or a dead woman walking, as it were. And Jesus says, take up your cross. Look, your cross is not for salvation. His cross is your and my salvation. But your and my crosses are sanctification. In a sense, when the Spirit has called us and we're saved and the Lord speaks to us, that we then, we, we follow him. We die, as it were, crucified on this cross. Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How could we not love him? So that's the, the man in Luke 9, if you'll turn again. The first man, he was too quick. He's too quick. Doesn't count the cost. I'm not trying to put someone off from serving the Lord. I'm trying to, I'm just bringing what the Lord gave me and he, for you to take it and run with it. Feast on it. Think about it. Pray about it. Apply it. This has been from, this dropped into me on Monday or Tuesday past. I wrote it on Thursday before I put pen to paper. And from I wrote it, I went out another walk yesterday with my faithful prayer partner, Harley Davidson, the dog. And when I went out with him, uh, he's the most prayed over dog in, in the whole of the country, I think. And this is a nice challenging me. Challenging me. If the sword doesn't cut me first, it's not going to cut you. It's a two-edged sword. So in Luke chapter 9, this man was too quick. And the Lord Jesus, notice, he doesn't say, come to me and follow me. It's health, wealth, and prosperity. He says, foxes of holes and the birds of the air of nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And again, it's about you come with me and you can end up anywhere when you follow me. But I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters, for as much that I have endeavored from I got saved to follow him. I mean to press after him, to seek him, to do his will in my life, feeling like everybody else many times. But from I have done that, I can honestly say his presence is enough. His company is the best. And they who gain Christ lose nothing. 
You may think you're giving up. It's harder now in 2023 to get Christians to give up the drink. But rather, they'd rather be at it. Secondly, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 59, man number 2. And Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. This man had the commission. The first one needed to count the cost. This man had the commission. He's the only one between the three that we read that Jesus actually told him to follow him. Whether he had to the other two, we don't read it. But he's saying to this man, follow me. And then, in the midst of his excuses, there's the commission. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You go on and do my service. You go on and preach my word. But, but, but. Notice, but he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I uh, call this man the procrastinator. Many of us are procrastinating about things. When God has called us. When the Spirit has put his finger on it. Remember the first one wasn't called and we jump in because we think, well, it'll be, yeah, we'll, we'll get some glory out of this bit. Or whatever it may be. Feeds flesh. And the flesh then keeps needing to be fed. And when the hard times come, we're not doing it as unto God, but we, we fail and we falter and then we jump to the next one and we jump to the next thing and then they jump to the next thing and, until someone says, huh, we're mocking him or her because look, they keep doing one thing to another. They weren't called, but this man received the call. Follow me, said Jesus. Follow me. And he received the commission, go preach. Now, the thing about this is, it seems as though the Lord is being difficult here to some. It seems as if the Lord is even being hard on this man. Because he says, the man says, suffer me first in verse 59 to go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And people tend to, some people tend to think, well, that wasn't very kind. He should have. You know, he's your family member, he's your, your, your father, he should let him go and bury him. But the idea here is, and all the commentators I've read are the same, the man's father wasn't dead. He could have been waiting on his daddy down for another 20 years, we don't know. His, dad, his father wasn't actually dead. But you know, there's a little thing here when Jesus says, go preach the kingdom of God. It's not that Jesus was being hard. What he was doing, and I want you to catch this, because he was feeding into this man's religion. I want you to listen to this, because people get this wrong. He was feeding into this man's religious heart. When he said, let the dead bury their dead. And this is what he means. For example, 
There's a Jewish writing that's called the Megillah. And around the Feast of Purim and the, the Jewish uh, calendar, Jewish feasts, in the Megillah they read the Book of Esther. And the Book of Esther is all about, uh, you know, Mordecai and Haman and Esther and Haman uh, looking to kill the Jews and how the Jews are uh, saved through uh, Esther uh, with the king and so on. I think we all know the story, don't we? So the whole lot feast of Purim for the Jews is about this. Now Jesus is speaking to this man who comes up. He says, you follow me. And they would have observed what's known as Purim, the feast. In the Megillah, Megillah means the scroll, the scroll or the volume. In the Megillah, this is what happens is, is they, they take the, the they take the book of Esther as a storybook just. Do you know the book of Esther not once is the name of God mentioned in the whole book? God's not even mentioned in it. Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever. Not mentioned once. Not even Elohim. Not once. But rather the glory goes to Esther here instead of the Lord. You need to read the book of Esther and see that for yourself. And even though they are delivered from, the, the Jewish people are delivered from this terrible fate that they were facing. In the Megillah they had what's known, which came out of this, it goes into what's known as Babylonian Talmudism. And Jerusalem Talmudism. And these writings are from the Jewish rabbis then down the line. And they commentate, if you want, one off another in debate about this Megillah. This Esther story, as it's only called. And hence they have this feast. Oh, we can feast and, and rejoice that the Jews weren't killed and all that sort of stuff. That's what they say. But here's what I want you to catch. In the Megillah, in the Megillah, it says that a man was allowed to stop reading the Torah, the law of God. So he's allowed to stop reading his Bible, if you want, because he would have searched and searched every day. You're allowed to stop reading the Torah if your father's dead in this instance. In fact, you're allowed to miss out on temple worship if, say, your father's dead. And thirdly, you're allowed to not go to Passover. You can miss Passover and the blood sacrifice if you're, say here, your father's dead. And you go bury them. This is what Jesus was doing with this man. This man comes and says, first let me go bury my father. Jesus was speaking to his religious heart and he was saying, sure, you're Megillah says you don't have to go with me, so go. Or your Megillah says, you follow me. If you want to be a religious Jew, your Megillah says, come follow me. You're allowed to not bury your dad, or you're allowed to go and bury your dad and follow me afterwards. So you're not under no obligation to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, but do you want to follow me? Your Megillah says you don't have to worry about the blood. Your Megillah says you don't have to worry about the temple, your Megillah says that you don't have to worry about the law or the word of God. 
but you can go and do the burial. Now that seems, that, that's, that seems natural to us if one of our loved ones pass away, we, we go bury them. That's not what the Lord is saying. But he is saying to this man, he's saying to him, listen, I am the word. I am the fulfillment of the law. He's saying to this man here, I am the one who is the blood sacrifice. So if you go from me now, you're saying that this eternal one who's before you, you're going to go back to do the burial. Well, your Megiddo says you can, but if you want to follow me, he says, then let the dead bury their dead and you come after me. How much do you want me? Speaking into his religious heart, how much do you want me? I am the word. I am the law keeper. I am the sacrifice. I'm the temple, the tabernacle of God. That's what he's saying. How much do you want me? Then let the dead bury their dead and come and follow me. Lord, let me first go bury my father. His father for one wasn't even dead. Maybe he wasn't even sick. He might have been old. He could have lived for a day or 20 years and still not follow Christ. And Jesus says, but your father isn't dead, so come follow me. Which is more important to you? And hence he says, if a man loveth not mother and father, me more than mother and father, he's not worthy of me. It's not what we read. And that's why Jesus is bringing this out. Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. The religion of the Megillah, of the Babylonian Talmud. By the way, the, the, the Talmud is a book of devils. It's a terrible book. It says that the Lord Jesus uh, was a, a witchcraft leader. It says that the Lord Jesus is burning in hell at this moment in excrement. That's the Jewish Talmud. And a lot more, but that's just one or two points. And Jesus is saying, that's rabbinical Judaism. And he says, your rabbinical Judaism, he says, if that's what you want, your religious heart, then go do it. But if you want me, then let the dead, the religious rabbinical Judaism was death. He says, let the dead bury their dead. Come, I preach the kingdom of God. If we look at this to ourselves, we have to ask something then. When the Lord says to you and I, see this thing here, does that matter so much that you have now forgotten me? That you have now neglected me? Think about this. You could say it to many religious people in this country we live in. Many, many religious people. Some maybe very, very sincere, but sincerely wrong. And he could say, is this what you want, religion? In the sense of all of the trappings. Is this what you want of your own heart and this religious spirit that you want? Is, is this when I am the sacrifice, when I am the blood, when I am the one who comes to save? Is this what you want? 
because dead lifeless religion means nothing to Christ. And he will say, well, if you don't want me, then off you go. But if you want to follow me, come on, church, think about it. If you really want to follow me, if you really want me in your life, if you really love me and you want to serve me, if you want to walk with me and talk with me, if you want to be you and I and and sweet fellowship and communion together, if you want anointing in your life, he's saying, listen, he says, all of those things, do they matter more than me? If you want me, then let the dead bury their dead. But you come and follow me. Come on, there's people can't even get out of bed for near lunchtime on a Sunday morning. Isn't that true? Come on, there's people in, there's, their hearts have never been changed by the word and the spirit of God. It's, it's, they, they're like the Lord, the same yesterday and today and forever in the sense that they, their heart has never been a um, softened and, and Jesus says is that the way you want to stay but what about following me because brothers and sisters when you get close to him first thing you see is your own sinfulness and his own gloriousness and holiness and then you see his sacrifice that he died for us and, and when you see that you rejoice in it. You're assured in it. You take hope in it. You glory in it. You commune one with another. Again, it's not condemnation, but could I ask a question? You answer it yourself in your own heart. Have you talked with him before you come out this morning? Have you even talked to him? This man, his father wasn't dead or as rabbinical Judaism taught, he would see to it rather than even be out listening to Jesus. If your dad was dead, you wouldn't be here. That's what he means. Because you have leave of Torah, temple and sacrifice. Rabbinical teaching was what Jesus called the tradition of your fathers. Turn with me to John 5, please. John chapter 5. John 5, and let your eye please run down to verse... uh, We'll go to verse 36. The Lord Jesus is speaking... But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me. And the Father hath sent me. And the Father and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. And he's speaking to religious Jews here. He's speaking to those who sit under rabbinical Judaism. See, you don't even know my father. 
Verse 39, notice what he says to them. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Notice this man here who comes to the Lord. He's procrastinating. Jesus specifically said to him, follow me. But Lord, let me by my father. Jesus then says, look, if you were, if your father was dead, you wouldn't be here. Because you have leave according to the Megillah, the teachings of rabbinical Judaism, to be there instead of the temple or even to worry about a sacrifice. He says, now while you're here, your daddy isn't dead. Now, do you want to follow me or not? Preach the kingdom, there's his commission. And the Lord speaks to us, to me. I pray to you this morning that he will say, listen, he puts the ducks in a row as it were and he calls things out as they are. It's like the woman at the well. You're right, you've had five husbands. You're with man number six, not your husband. You're right. But they want to go and tell people about me. And so he says to us, here it is, here's your life, here's the call. I've told you, follow me. Lord, I want more of you, but after I do this. I want more of your presence, but after I go here. The Lord says, I've called you now. Let that dead thing, let the dead bury their dead. Come here and follow me and preach the kingdom of God. I want to finish with was the third one and quickly because this will be a shorter one let's go to Luke chapter 9 time is flowing verse 61 and another also said notice we don't we don't read that he's called either and another also said Lord I will follow thee but let me first go bid them farewell which are at my at, at home at my house and the thing is, well, we would go, sure, there's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord is looking at this man, and he's a pendulous man. He's like a pendulum, he swings both ways. No, he goes here, he wants to follow you, but his eyes are looking back. He wants to follow him, but his eyes are looking back. He's impetuous, he's standing in, and then he's standing out. Standing in, and stand. this is this man. He's a pendulous man. He says, Lord, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, my house. This man had too many cares. Call the commission the care. The first one was too quick. The second one was too slow for he was procrastinating. And this man, well, this man here was too attached. Too attached. It's not that Jesus was being hard here either. But what he's trying to put across here, I believe, is that the perfect timing of God had happened here for this man. Jesus, as I said in Luke 9 and verse 51, if you want to read this. Luke 9 verse 51 says, And it came to pass... When the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus set his face 
to go to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. Setting his face means he steeled. Like his face went like steel or flint. None could move him from it. He was fixed. He was focused. And now with this fixing, he's saying to this man, no man putting his hand to the play and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Now, a lot of people think that this means then if you're in the Lord's service and you lift your hand or you look back that you're not saved, that's not what this really means at all. What he's saying is if you're not fixed on the goal, if you're not fixed on the prize, if you're not fixed on Christ, and you have your hand on the plough and you're ploughing with the oxen, to look back means you could hit a stone, knock you out of the rut. To look back means something could happen, you could veer off. He used to look away up at the top of the field to a point, and they kept their eyes on the point while they made the rut on the ground, the furrow. And Jesus is saying, you've started to look back. And things aren't going straight. It's not fit for purpose. You ever took your hand off the play? I have. Times I've realized I've took my hand off the play. Have you ever started looking back? Maybe you've looked back at your past life. I have with regret of many things, many times. But then I have to look forward to the blood. Have you ever looked back because someone has been at you and shouting at you and saying all manner of things about you and you can't stop, you can't think, you can't concentrate, you can't play a straight furrow you can't go on for the kingdom because you're listening to them and you're looking back. Have you ever done that? I have. Well, listen, if you and I were to look back at every dog that barks at us in the street, we'd never get up the street, sure, we wouldn't we'd be stopping it. There's dogs at your heels. Keep plowing. Don't lift your hand off the plow, brother. Don't lift your hand off the plow, sister. You keep your focus directly ahead. Jesus says, this man wants to follow him. And he says, how straight are you plowing? Some people, they keep their hands in the play and you think they're going well and suddenly their hands are off it and they're looking this way. It's not that this man or any person, I should say, would be unsaved. Lost, but it means the furrow isn't straight. The labour has went wrong. This man was pendulous. And what he was saying was distractions and attachments must never cause the kingdom ploughman. Allow woman to look back. To look back. You know there's no armor in Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. There's no armor in the back. Do you know that? 
You read it. There's no back piece of armor. You have six pieces, but there's none in the back. You know why? Because you're not going that way. You're marching into battle. You're going straight ahead. All the armor's here, the shield of faith. You're not going that way. There's no armor on the back. Lot's wife looked back, so it turned into a pillar of salt. So I'll finish with this. Thank you for your attention. Some people can't move on in God. Some people aren't growing in God because of the attachments they have in their life. Jesus in Matthew 13 in the parable of the the four parcels of ground and the sower. The third uh, parcel of ground was thorny and the thorns choked the seed. And he says they are the curse of this life or the curse of the world. And they choke the life out of the person. Some of us have more cares about the world and the life outside than the care of the life in Christ. And when you're, you're following him and when you're with him and you're conscious of him, his presence will cause you not to be choked with the, with, with the, the thorns, as it were, or the cares of life, but rather his presence and his closeness will enable you to press on to bring forth fruit. Numbers 11, Israel were turned, their heads were turned with the mixed multitude. Non-Israelites were there. And it it says, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. You ready for your dinner yet? (laughs) But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And this is what I've written as I close this. This is Israel now. Come out of, they've come out of Egypt. And the mixed multitude stirred them up. Don't let the devil stir you up. A complaining heart romanticizes the past. A complaining heart romanticizes the past. But it also exaggerates the problems of the present. It also exaggerates the problems of the present. Egypt will seem good when you forget what God has brought you from. Egypt will sound good when you forget what God has brought you from. You must look forward. You must fix your eyes straight ahead. And you must keep your hand on the ply. And Henry Wilkinson, the old Puritan, said, God gives gifts where he gives a calling. And you might even know, God's been calling me, but I can't. If, 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 a big I, if, if God has called you, then God will supply you. He doesn't call the called, he calls, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Teams, you come up, please. Thank you for your attention this morning. Time to get away home.